You always hear about investing in properties, but what if you only wanted a property just to stay and not necessarily see it as an investment? Recently, HDB resales hit record highs. Is it because of the BTOs getting delayed? Or is it because of fears being propagated on Facebook and YouTube saying that HDB value will go to zero and Singaporeans will lose all their savings? What I really want to know is, are HDBs really that bad? In this episode, we want to expand your views on HDBs and is it a must to own a property in Singapore or can you actually thrive when you rent a property on this little red dot? If you're just embarking on your property journey, this episode is a great start for you. Ready to find out more? Welcome to the Coconut Avenue. Hey guys, we hope you're loving our weekly newsletter so far and in our continued effort to improve and create better products for you guys, we are collaborating with Books Beyond Borders, which is a second-hand online bookstore that sells donated books to fund social causes they believe in. We love it and we want to be part of that. Every week, you will see a book recommendation by them on our newsletter and these books are on a first-come, first-served basis. Usually, there's only one or two copies that are donated once. So if you want to be the first to know what new interesting books they have, head over to thefinancialcoconut.com to sign up for a weekly newsletter now. Welcome back to another day on the Coconut Avenue. Join us as we explore various property insights, investment strategies, and challenging property myths out there today. We'll be bringing on investors and experts in the game to share with us their insights and stories to better prepare us for our journey. Whether you're looking at your first property or building your bucket of gold through properties, there's something for you here. Ultimately, it's about helping you find your unique game plan. In today's episode, we want to talk about HDBs and is it a must to own a property or can you actually thrive when you rent a property in Singapore? Today, our guest is someone you will love. How do we know that? Judged by her first appearance on the Financial Coconut main feed, we know that a lot of you guys are keen on what she has to say on properties. She's going to give her take about renting versus owning properties in Singapore as well as talk a little bit about HDBs. She's a seasoned property investor with years of experience under her belt in commercial and residential property scenes both in Australia and Singapore. She'll be kicking off Coconut Avenue's first episode along with the Chief Financial Coconut, Reggie, and she's none other than... Maureen Lee. So to kickstart, right, I think a lot of people have this thought that they want to be a property investor. Right. right? But right. in my head, right, like, I don't want, you know, it's like, I don't really think like... <laughs> really? You know, it's, like, <laughs> it's like... Okay, I gotta get out of here. You know? <laughs> it's, like, it's like, I feel like um, I just want a home. Right. Right. I don't need a property to be my investment because I already have my ways of making money. Right. Right. And yes. Yeah, I just, I'm just wondering, like, must everybody be a property investor? Can I just buy a home? Um, I guess um, it's uh, the way that I looked at it, okay? I, I think that um, if you think about your way of investment as an income earning um, uh, ways, right, it's just as someone who has a job or who has a business, etc., I always thought of uh, property as a very good way to park money, Purely because um, it's a physical asset that if, if in the right country like Singapore, it can never go down to zero. Now, I qualify that obviously there's been a lot of recent news about HGB, you know, reducing to zero and we'll, we can touch on that later. But generally, property is a, is a great, great way to, to um, park 
some money, right, and then um, grow your um, equity, I think. But that, that's my perspective of the whole thing. Mm. Yeah. So, so that's your thought as an investor, mm. right? You, you see it as, a, as an investment viewpoint. Actually, this is from the... Okay, uh, you, you prelude this whole conversation by saying that oh, a lot of people wanted to become a property investor. Actually, um, a lot of the common people, like, you know, just the, you know, the uncle and aunties that we meet on the street, etc., property investment is always deemed as something that is out of reach for them because the capital requirement is so large, they can't get into the market. Which is why I thought the late um, Mr. Lee Kuan Yew was so great in his um, regime when he created HDB <gasps> because he allowed people to own their own home, which mm, is such mm. a great thing. Because a home is, aside from what I may or may not think as an investor, it's a like your nest, like your place that you can return to is a place uh, that is very safe for a lot of people. And owning that place um, gives people the sense of security and stability. So if you actually talk to a lot of people in their old age, they will always say, oh, at least I own my own home. Why do they say that? It's because at the later stage of their life when uh, they are not as productive in terms of uh, income producing, then having your own home at least allow them to think, at least if I have my three meals, I've got my own home. I, there is a place of escape. There is a hideout that I can go to. And Safe. that's, yeah, that's very important for, I think, a lot of people psychologically as they get older. Aside from what we may think about property in terms of, um, you know, equity and yield and all that. That's why... I thought that the late Mr. Lee Kuan Yew was so wise um, and, and so uh, great in his tselue uh, or mm. regime of how he... Yeah, we're going to get HDB to sponsor this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Maureen, what, what you mentioned just now was more like property as a home. Yes. That's not like investment, right? Right, right. Yeah. Okay, so, so um, uh, that's the other thing. I was thinking about this whole perspective, I mean, a long time ago as well. Um, I, I know that a lot of people out there, especially when they're starting out in investment, they would have read a lot of financial literacy book, like from Robert Kiyosaki was a very popular one. In fact, Robert Kiyosaki was one of the game changer. He came in and then he told everyone that, hey, how you should define asset is anything that puts money into your pocket. And naturally, a home where you stay, especially when you don't lease out part of the place or whatever, is a liability. And that's like a controversial conversation to have with anyone at the time. And if you look at it um, later on, I'm going to expound on it in Singapore context, that may not be naturally true for a lot of Singaporean. But however, um, that, that's how he defined it. That's not naturally how I define it because um, property in its format has two components. One is the rental yield and one is the equity um, component in terms of how you earn the income. I think we, we, we touch on that in terms of how you get your profit from your property. In essence, in Singapore right now, for the since 21-3 till now, right, uh, property hasn't been a great platform for income earning. Um, people know that the rental yield in Singapore hasn't been great. But what property has always been very good at in Singapore is that it's been a very good defense strategy for a lot of people in terms of equity retention and equity increment. Uh, why? Because as a place, a country increase in population, you'll find that by default, um, the property prices will also uh, increase proportionately. So 
because of the nature, even for property investor like myself, when I enter into Singapore property scene, I know that of course, I need to get positive cash flow from my investment. But that cash flow really is, is enough to cover all my mortgage. If it gives me a little bit of cash flow, I'm considered very blessed and clever in terms of high structure. But to say that I rely on that cash flow to build my wealth, um, it will be ignorant. Because majority of the um, uh, property investor built their wealth in Singapore markets through equity increment. So then... Why is it very different for a property investor if they're just a mom and pop who invest in HDB? Why can't they also look at it in terms of not just a place to stay where they are, it's safe for their children, but also a place to get some equity? It makes sense, right? If by default I can also get that, why don't I? Rather than blindly going into a marketplace and saying that, I just want to get a home. I don't care if it increase or not. Why, why not get the other one as mm -hmm. well if yeah. you can? So that's, that's my perspective. And before the recent change in regime with HDB, if you talk to the older generation, they would tell you that, oh, they work all their life, they pay off their HDB, and at the end of it, that's their nest egg. A lot of them might not have a lot of great saving apart from their CPF, but that home was worth something to them because it has tradable value. Um, I say that, of course, knowing the recent regime changes, which is why the recent changes in HDB, how the government value HDB, has such a huge impact for Singaporean in general because that's traditionally how we um, accumulate our oh, wealth. Of course. We, I mean, when you look at at the point in time when you know, so what I think what you were saying was really for the older generation, right? the people that are like what they call pioneer generation, right? Correct. So, so those guys, they bought the HDB, the very first batch was like 40,000, mm. right? So mm. they were very simple, you know, uh, factory workers, you know, just doing very laborious way of, you know, making money, which is at the point in time, right? right. And they bought it at 40,000 and then they paid, paid, paid. And then over time, it became like 400,000. Correct. Right? So, Correct. So they, they experienced that 10 times, you know, 10 times flip in what, 30, 40 years? Correct, correct. Right? Which is amazing, you know, based on how you distribute wealth to all these people. Correct. And and Reggie, if you look at all the, um, uh, don't talk about people who are perhaps savvy with um, share investment and all that. Just talk about uh, just general people, commoner. The, the type of uh, investment product that we have in Singapore really doesn't, you'll be lucky if you just catch up with the CPI increment every year, right, mm. with the inflation. Yeah. Um, so property was the way that allowed those people to correct that. Um, and like you say, you are very, very spot on. How can I invest with 40000 and over time it becomes four hundred with the, you know, correcting the CPI increase over time and then accumulate such a great asset at the end of yeah, the day. Yeah. And 400000 in any language is a lot of money. And to, <laughs> in and, any language? Yes. Yeah, yeah, and to try, yeah, and, you know, to try to save that over time, mm. it's hard work. Yeah. And, and to know that, hey, I can just, you know, do what I do and then over time I've just got that 400000 sitting there. It's, it's good to know and it's also a comfort for a lot of people, I feel. I think so too, but do you think it's still valid for our generation? Because our generation is gonna come in at four hundred thousand, right? So mm. honestly, in my head, right, if four hundred thousand go to four million, uh, this is gonna be like revolt on the streets mm. because right. this is social housing. 
Right. Right. So right. the HDB story, is, is it still intact? I'm, I'm going to uh, break this down into two parts. Your first question was uh, whether it's still relevant for this uh, generation, um, given where we're going. As long as a country or a place or a town or whatever continue to increase in population, there is going to be appreciation in the property assuming that you are buying what the masses would buy. If you go and buy something like Whoop Whoop or, you know, like out of, you know, where there's like Some zero... Yeah, like, yeah, then I don't know, yeah, very right? Quirky. I will buy, I will buy. Yeah. I like it right, as a home, right? But, but yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you know, it's very tough to find someone else yeah, to buy it. Correct, correct. But so long as there is a consistent population increment in a country, then I would say that there is um, uh, some smartness to, to doing that. Now, let's touch on the HDB thing. Um, uh, lately and also um, we, we touch on the Bala table right? which actually gives you a table that um, actually measures or how the government measures the depreciation of a property over time. That depreciation table used to be not so relevant because like you say even until the end there is a silent or, a, or a, a mutual understanding between the citizen and the government that somehow the government would buy over um, the HDB flat as it depreciates but however, with the recent announcement by the government, they are saying that, hey, this guarantee is no longer there, right? So then what happens with our HDB flat? There is still that component. There is still value. Because people think that, oh, um, how it works is like, today my property, I bought it for 400 And with the depreciation with the 99-year leasehold, it just, tomorrow is uh, 399 and whatever. Yeah, it doesn't work that way. Because, yes, the depreciation of the leasehold does happen, but you are also countering the effect with appreciation of land prices in general with Singapore. So there is a two-chart factor happening um, over time. So that's one thing. Um, hopefully people get that kind of picture in their head. But uh, what I'm also saying is also, generally I advise people to get HDB flat that is five, assuming that you don't get, uh, BTO is fine, but uh, there is a reason why I prefer resale, of course. Um, but outside of that, that's another no, we'll topic. We'll talk about that later, right? Correct, <laughs> correct. But I do like five to less than 20 years HGB. I still think that there is validity to go in at the right price. So HGB now is, is a property. So at entry at the right price is still important. But notwithstanding that, five to t less than 20 years would give you a good enough time. So I always advise the young people, unlike the parents who will stay in the HDB forever, get the HDB within this age range, stay in it for the minimum MOP period, then trade out to a condo. That's always my advice. And that by the time, assuming you are doing all the right things, right, you would have a very decent six-figures nest egg when you trade into your condo. And when you trade into your condo, of course, the entry price and everything where you buy then become, of, of course, very, very important. And that will allow you to somehow ride the same way as your parents, if not even better. If you enter the condo at the right price, your appreciation should be a lot better than your parents. And the, the benefit of a private condo versus a HDB is that you can leverage on the additional equity to buy additional exactly. property, which you can't with the exactly, HDB. Exactly, right. Yeah. With a flat, you can never get a mortgage Correct. On, on it. Correct. There is no leverage. You can't take Correct. loans on that. On Correct. a private property, you can, you Correct. can do all the sexy things. Correct. You know? Correct. <laughs> and I, I say this because... 
for younger generation, if you calculate like someone's income, right, how much they're earning, even with a two couple professional once they graduate from university, how much they're earning, to ask them to buy a one bedroom in any condo, which is like 800 to a million, um, the amount of savings that they have to make is almost impossible. But the thing is that one of the greatest um, thing that we know to accumulate your wealth is something called compound interest, right? So the, the sooner you enter the market, you can compound this equity, the better. So I always advise, go into your HDB first as soon as you can. Compound that in the HDB environment with your five years MOP or whatever it, it is. Then trade out into your condo so that you're not wasting time saving up to get into your condo. Um, you are still using that that time period to accumulate equity, especially when Singapore government is so generous with all the grants and all the access that they're giving to young people to allow them to enter. And you know you can enter into HDB like, you know, mini, you know, like five figures, very little money. In fact, with the, the CPF money that you have. So um, it's it's quite a good thing. It's like as long as you have a job, you're, yes. not, you're not priced out of the system. Correct. Right. I Correct. Mean, we're not going into the nitty gritties of Correct. Like marriage. And, Correct. You know, all those things Correct. are a different discussion. Correct. But I think based on whatever you just said, right, which mm-hmm. is to buy, partake in the property market through the HDB mechanism, okay? Like whenever you can. Right. Like right from the get-go. And right. So your assumption is in five years, they will sell that and then flip over to a private property. That is the Correct. Plan, Correct. Right? Now, Reggie, I qualify that. uh, uh, There is no, never hard and fast rule. So, for example, I just touched on this, um, that I buy leasehold property currently, right? Because of personal reason. I I bought a residential place that is leasehold because my my mother at the time wanted to live in a particular area. Um, It's a a very conscious decision and I don't like leasehold generally, generally. Um, But it's a condo. So, um, with that, I told myself, hey, I'm going to sell at five years. But is it exactly at the five years? So, for example, next year, my own um, condo reaches the five years. But I don't think it's a good time to sell at that point. So I'll still hold it for a couple of years. It's still okay as long as it's below 10 years. So similarly for what you say about HDB, it's the the same thing. It doesn't mean that, oh, five-year MLP, I have to. If it's not the right environment, if it's not the right entry price, you can hang on for a couple of years more. Okay. Hey guys, so yes, I get it. Everyone wants to learn to invest and somehow believe they can be a Warren Buffett. Truth is that will probably never happen. But if we just want to become slightly better investor, making consistent 5-10% to returns, then Dividend Machine may be something to consider. Dividend Machine is a program by the fifth person, our selected course partner, which focuses on helping you pick dividend-paying stocks to grow a consistent investment income or some call passive income. On top of that, with us around, you can come back and discuss and ideate with our community. So yes, for more details, check out the financialcoconut.com slash dividend. Everything is in the link below. What I'm hearing is we need to understand the underlying reason, right? Which is to compound. Yes. Right? So that's yes. why you, you invest early and then you kind of compound this over time. It becomes like a forced savings in Correct. some ways, right? Correct. Buying the property and then you flip over Correct. to another thing. And yeah, so, so I get that. But <clears throat> all these are hinging on the underlying belief that there'll be more people on this island. Am, mm. I, am, I, am I good to bring out that validation? Mm. Right? So 
if the population doesn't grow and then the demand slumbers, then so this strategy cannot be applied in anywhere else. Not not just like flip and just put like that. You really got to analyze which city okay. or which. Um, I'm going to touch on generally how Australian do it, right? But uh, the other thing is also. Maybe I'm old-fashioned, but, but, but I'm still believing. No, you're very hip one. You know, not old-fashioned, right? You shifted here, you're Right, 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 right. Um, but I still believe that if I was to, for example, if every month I was to pay, let's say, $2,000 or $3,000 to stay in a place, I'd rather put that into my own place, right, where I'm actually accumulating some form of equity than just to rent. So I quite like that concept so because over time like you say it's a full saving so let's say even if Singapore next year the it's, it's impossible for Singapore to uh, oh I say this I hope not that it, for it to go backward <laughs> clarify although our, guys clarify although our birth rate is not really helping but um, let's say um, and which is why I'm not very pro the government stopping a lot of foreigners coming in we're traditionally relying on people coming into this country migration and all that to grow our population because we're just not giving birth enough Right, but in saying so, let, uh, let's assume that right at the moment that it goes stagnant. Even with that, I still recommend people do think about buying HGB and why? Because it's a false uh, sense of savings, and whether we like it or not, I think we can concretely say that in the in ten years later, everything that we're experiencing now will be more expensive, including properties because people are just not building more land anyway. So coke is going to be more expensive, everything. You know, we can trace back to the history with our grandparents, you know, how much they pay for things. So with that, I still think there is, uh, there is enough validity for people to actually invest into property, even if it's a false uh, sense of saving. But the other thing is also then to trade into the condo. Because really, if I ask you, Reggie, oh, can you just put aside every month this amount of money? psychologically, once you see your NASA increase, you'll be thinking, oh, maybe I should, assuming that we can travel, you'll go, oh, maybe I should take a holiday. And, <laughs> Cruise to you know, nowhere. Cruise yeah, to correct, nowhere, guys. Correct. <laughs> and, you know, and, and that's, that's, the, that's the one thing that people need to realise. that you, you do like to spend the money that you've got in the bank account. And then the other thing is that um, money does depreciate in value over time. If you keep it stagnant, um, you should invest it in something that would appreciate you know, proportionately, you know, according to inflation, at least, at least, yeah. So, so now touching in Australia, the difference between Australia and um, Singapore, there was a period of time that, and also with some of the clever strategy we can um, uh, sort of implement in Australia, it is very possible to buy a residential place in Australia um, or even... Uh, let me backtrack, it's very possible to invest into a residential property in Australia and get very, very strong positive cash flow out of it, not just equity increment. So with that, a lot of um, uh, entrepreneur or property investor, they rent themselves, but they invest in property to get income because the income is very healthy. And also the other thing is that in Australia, when you rent your rental can be um, deducted from your taxation, especially if you, yeah, especially if you run businesses. Let's say if I set up a company to run my property businesses, the, the rent that I pay for my home, uh, proportionately, for example, I can say, oh, I have a home office or whatsoever, I can deduct it off. Really? And yeah. tax is crazy in Australia. Correct. Right? So. so then 
from a taxation perspective, it makes sense for me to want to rent uh, and then use my money to invest in something that generates cash flow, right? Yeah. But if you look at it from a Singapore perspective, when I invest in something, I'm not getting cash flow. So the only play is like kind of equity. Um, it doesn't make as much sense, really. And, and a lot of people then come to me and say, oh, but I invest in industrial. It gives me some cash flow. When I analyze deep into it, the cash flow versus the proportionate risk and how much equity that is stuck in there, I don't know, right? So unless there is a capital upside in Singapore, I think it's very important, at least for the foreseeable future, it's very important that you realise that you're investing into property in Singapore because of the equity increment. If that is non-existence, because you didn't buy on value, because there's no cap growth in that property, don't buy it, is my advice. Yeah. Maureen, yeah. you mentioned so many advantages of owning a property or investing a mm. property in Australia, right. but what, what's the reasons that you came to Singapore and to enter the property industry? It was a moment of insanity, actually. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, someone asked me the other day, I was like, oh, yes. Um, I didn't come to Singapore to invest in property. I came to Singapore for personal reasons. Yeah. And when I entered into Singapore, it was like 21, 3, 21, 4. It was ABSD, SSD. I recall thinking yeah. that, what am I doing here? And majority of Singapore property, if you look at it re realistically, is all strata, condo, strata, industrial, strata, whatever. There's very few landed. Yeah. And when you, as soon as you touch on strata, you are investing into airspace. Yes. Right? You're subdividing because of the level and buying airspace. So traditionally in Australia, I'll never, never, never invest in airspace, even though we do also have flats, apartments and all that. Unless a certain other criteria is met, I, I don't do it. it. It just doesn't make sense. And also, if you look at a country like Australia, the appreciation for airspace versus land is always less. And you translate it into Singapore environment, it's also the same. If you can buy a freehold landed, freehold whatever, um, anything to do with land versus air, it always does quite well, especially over time. Unless you buy badly, right? Yeah. Then that's another story altogether. Just generally, when you buy landed anything in Singapore, you can also increase the value by enhancing the place. Yes. Whereas you buy strata, you can only enhance the internal, not the external. Yes. And that limits you to a lot of extents. So, so when I came here, it was like, you know, so it wasn't for property investment purposes. Um, it was because of lifestyle, personal reason. I came here and I thought I was going to stay a couple of years and go home. Yeah. I just got stuck. <laughs> so, so you never want to go back to no, Australia no, you're stuck the, in Singapore like I didn't realise then the roots started like you know so I don't know yeah. and then you're making friends yeah, yeah and, and then, then I've got two dogs <laughs> and then they're only five years old so I thought yeah. oh, I've got another ten years left here you know and so, that's the strategy that's what the government <laughs> does right they get you to come here and study and then yeah, you know yeah, you bring yeah. your parents here and slowly yeah, so like, oh, let's buy a house let's go correct. buy an ass and you, correct, know, correct. you get your citizenship okay we grow our population correct because the thing is that the other day someone also asked me oh Maureen so do you like Singapore like you've been here for like seven years etc I say, well, Singapore is like a work home. Yeah. They look puzzled. They say, what do you mean work home? You know, I say, you are here because you work, so it becomes your home, you know? They say, we are both the other version of it. I say, it's like a home home. They say, what does home home mean? Home home means like it's the place that you really love to stay there because it's got culture, hobbies, and, you know, things like that that keeps you there. But Singapore is never built like that, right? Ah. Uh. 
have to that's agree. True. That's true. <laughs> I have to agree. That's why a lot of people okay, are stressed. You're, you're going to get a lot of hate mail yeah, from this. Yeah, you know, but, you, but, you know, I have to agree. And actually, all my artist friends, they have to agree also because there's right. no, there's no, ah, uh, it's limited cultural, you know, environmental yeah. kind of. I mean, there's Bishan Park lah. Bishan Park is quite e- nice. Excuse me. He always he always sells Bishan Park. I love Bishan Park, guys. Me too, right. Me uh, too. So N Park sponsor, right? <laughs> I love Bishan Park because I think there's a certain vibe. Once you're there, right, it's it's a whole different thing. Maybe that's why property prices there are crazy. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. HDB yeah. goes for a million. Yeah, man. exactly, exactly. Like, my goodness, you know, when I went to yeah. the park, that's okay. I get it. I get it. Why HDB goes for a million dollars? Correct, here. correct. You see, you see, Reggie, you just touched on a very good point. Don't care like the even the number of years, right? If you look at all the highly sought after area like Bishan Park and all that, there's still a lot of value to the HDB. It's, it, it comes down to something called demand. Is there demand for your place? Even if it's got, let's say, 30, 40 years left, right? Is there demand? If there's no demand, there's no value. If there's demand, even if it's 40, like Tiong Bahru, right? Some of the older places is so beautiful. It's like I 40 years. It, yeah, it's 40 years. Like, there's still value. There's still people who want it, yeah, right? All the Angmo stay there. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's like an town. Correct, correct. Yeah, it's so culturally rich, so sexy. And I'm slowly getting what you're saying, right? So, okay. Right. When I came to this conversation with you, I come from the stand that I just want a home. Right. right? I know how to invest. I know I, my vehicle is the stock market. Right. And of course, I've, take time to hone that skill, right? And and uh, it's served me well, right? So when I see, you know, property, I'm like, nah, I just want a house, right? Mm-hmm. I don't really need to, like, make a lot of money from, from this, per se. But, you know, the discussion so far just gives me this thought that, hey, actually, even if I just buy a house, you know, somehow or another, I will still experience the capital gains. Correct. Right? So I can, I can, don't need to be too concerned about, you know, the whole like investment narrative, you correct. know, like correct. Right, right price, right spot, right, correct. right, everything, correct. right. Correct. But as long as I stay vested in a place that continue to have experienced population growth, so that's an underlying assumption. Got because that's related to demand? Yes. So, right, population growth, jobs, people, demand for space, then as long as I stay vested, you know, as a homeowner, I can still experience the capital gains. Correct. Not consciously, right? Correct. Like, oh, I just stay here, lah. Then five years later, hey, actually, the prices are, are just Correct. going up. Correct. So, I don't think that one needs to be like, oh, I one have to... One or the other. Yeah, or analyze it or whatever. Even if you are taking a very layman perspective to this, I don't want to go and what, study all the books and whatever with property. But if you just use your common sense approach, oh, there's a lot of people want it here. My family, or oh, I want to send my kids to this school. That's great. So long as you still, like, enter not at crazy prices even if you enter at okay prices it still makes sense you look at the pinnacles like people say oh it's so expensive when you buy it or even bunking area people like have hdb that is one million but they they enter it because they want to stay there they want to send they i'm sure a lot of the people who bought at those area weren't um savvy property investor they just you know <laughs> yeah they just, but it's worth a lot of money now yes it it's the accidental you know the the powerful accidental wealth you know like yeah. like how the people in beijing like my friends right, right. you know the family lives in this si in beijing yeah, and then yeah, yeah. over time because population grow and yes then, yes so that, those are the underlying factors right back to the factors correct which is jobs people work correct. you know and then demand for space correct right and then that city boom and then they just you know 
Right, with it. Yeah, suddenly the farmer becomes like Correct. a guru. Correct. So, so the thing is that if I ask you, do you like to, would you like to stay in a place and just stay in a place that, you know, you might have rented it and whatever, that brings no value apart from the fact that you like staying there versus, hey, I can stay there. I still pay somewhat the same money, but over time I accumulate something, right? I think most people would just choose option two. If yeah. I can have that, why not? Mm. Yeah. So are you telling me not to rent? Yes. <laughs> if you can. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's cool. So you're saying that for many people who want properties as a home, they can still be a bit hybrid and choose, choose at the right time to buy, choose at the right place and write on the investment as well, even though they might want to stay in that home forever. It doesn't Correct. hurt to have Correct. a little bit of capital growth. Correct, exactly. If you can have it, why not? Especially when Singapore is such a capital gain property investment marketplace. And the other thing is that I doubt, I doubt unless the government somehow some electrical wire um, disconnect. Yeah, correct. I think it's in their interest to continue to push for population growth in Singapore. Really. Um, uh, so with that, that means that the property prices would always proportionately. And, and the government, if you look at all the commercial um, regime that they're putting together, whether it's um, setting up a VCC, getting investment companies from overseas to invest in Singapore, why? Um, you know, when you, have, when you stimulate economic factor, people want to come and work here, they'll move their money here and all that. That, that means human traffic. That means property will grow. Yeah, so I think that over time it still makes sense. Okay, cool. Like, yeah. I, I I love what you just did there because you you kind of converted me. <laughs> <laughs> so easy to get converted. <laughs> so, so it's like it's like okay, not not converted in a sense that now I see myself as a property investor. No, right. In a sense that, you know. I feel like I can also just buy the property, yeah. you know, and not as a just a homeowner. I just want a beautiful place that I like. Got it. I'll just buy it there. I don't need to geek out over like you know, correct property factors or like buy price, sell price, you know, correct. da da da. But I should just you know, if within my means, if I can, I should just have some equity in the property market. Yeah, makes right. sense. Fundamentally, that is. You know, the beauty of being a homeowner, la, you, you aga aga, then you like, just buy a house five years later, hey, I got some money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, I know everyone loves kids, everyone loves puppies. I like old people. So a lot of the times I go out there, I chat to them. I actually have conversation with all these old people. And, and if you mix around with old people enough, if you talk to them, whether they're in Australia, here, one of the things as you, you know, have chats with them, they will always tell you like, those that work all their life just to put their kids through school and all that, by the end of it, really, you know that they don't have much left, like in terms of cash or whatever. The ones that does slightly better is because they still own their own home and that is of worth something. So I think from there, I glean that, hey, you know, minimally, it's, it's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. And, and, you know, those are the people who didn't, care like at that time like they pro like the prices that you ask them hey how much did you buy it for uncle auntie right whatever price that they mentioned and i bet you if at that time if i can trace back at that time maybe they bought it very badly their friend only pay like x amount and they pay like 30k more or 100k more but to me now when i listen to them i always go wow so cheap 
I never once go, oh, poor you, you know, you enter at such... I always say, wow, so cheap. Like, that's the whole thing behind it, I think. And once they paid that off, and, and the, the amount that that house or that property is worth now, it's always like, wow, at least they've got that, right? If anything happened, can draw down from the bank, it's still worth something, they can still use that money. I think you've shared enough. I, I get the idea, right? So whether or not you want to be a property investor, that means you're going to geek it out with all the factors and choose what's best price to buy, what time to sell, everything. Or if you just, you know, be an accidental property investor by being a homeowner, right? I think what Maureen is trying to tell us is as long as the underlying factors of demand stays intact, right, then it's better to be vested than not. Right, so I think I think that's good enough, man. You made your case, right? Thank you very much. Thank you, thank you. Please yeah. applaud. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm so, kidding. Yeah, I, I hope you guys had a great time. This yeah. is our first episode. There are many, many good things coming. You know, next few episodes, we're gonna talk about all the ins and outs of property. And yeah, thanks for coming. And see ya, guys. Hey. Thanks for taking time to tune in today. I hope you have learned a little bit more about property investing. If you feel like you have benefited from this podcast, do share this with your loved ones and also do follow us on all our socials and join our community telegram group and tell us what you're interested to know about next. Everything is in the description below. Have a great day ahead guys and always remember, when we are better prepared, the next opportunity is just around the corner. See you next week. That's a wrap for the first episode of The Coconut Avenue. We have been preparing this for you for months after listening to what you guys want. And I'm just so excited to finally, you know, we can release this today and to hear what you guys have to say and and to improve on it. I surely learned something from this episode today and I hope you did as well. Here's my takeaway. Properties are forced savings. And it's better to get into the game early as compound interest will work for us. At least our hard-earned money is locked in a physical asset that we can enjoy or we can use to make more money. If you have such a big amount of money in the bank, voluntary discipline is hard. Maybe you want to buy a Rolex. Maybe you want to upgrade your car. Maybe you want to renovate your home. Maybe you want to buy this, buy that. And if you just lock it in in your home, then you really can't spend it You don't even need discipline. You just can't spend it, right? And yes, even though we might never get the appreciation our parents had on HDBs from like paying 50 to 100K and then you jump to 400 or maybe even 500, 600K in 30 years, that's good appreciation, you know. But we can still use HDBs as a jumping board into private properties. And that journey can also net us some decent gains if we buy at the right time and sell at the right time. Of course, there are, there's a lot of research and metrics that you need to look out for. And for young couples, getting into a resale HDB is recommended over going for BTO by Maureen. I think she roughly mentioned the reasons why and she will talk about it more in the next episode. So stay tuned. Right guys, that's it for the first episode. I'm so happy that this is released. Come discuss with us on our Telegram group and exchange opinions or just ask us about any queries you have after listening to this or tell us what property knowledge that you want to know more about because we want to provide you the insights and knowledge that truly benefits you. 
looking forward to hear from you guys. Take care and I'll see you next week.